0: is the ring of words
1: pop Muse,
2: the trivia music show
1: of your favorite pop stars
2: what's going on fam welcome to another episode of pop muse the pop music trivia show of your favorite stars and for those joining our show for the first time we scour the internet for every episode and look up some lesser known facts about some of the big names, mega stars, legends, or what I always say, some cool cats from the international and national stage to fill you in on. And let's see if you know as much as you think you know about some of your favorite stars. I'm TJ Reed and I got Mr. Liu from Hangzhou in the studio. What's going on, man?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm in a very good mood (laughs) because I love being on this show. And today I get to do it all over again. So Yeah. yeah,
2: everything's great. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, your expertise. And today I got somebody that's really, really well known throughout the world, really needs no introduction. I have no doubt that you will get this right. Uh, I stumped you the last time, but I think this time you'll definitely figure out who it is—a revolutionary, an innovator, a funkadelic colossus all over the world for music. Um, his work is embedded in the hearts, the style, and music, and even today's biggest names. So. I'm really looking forward to sharing his story with you. And yeah, and I hope Mr. Lee will get it right today.
1: <laughs> you know, every time I listen to these introductions, yeah, I can't help but feel like that is so much pressure. <laughs> better get this right. <laughs> Especially given the fact that I got it wrong for the very first time last time. So I better not get it wrong this time. I'm
2: not worried about it. You will definitely get it right. But what about you? Who you got for us today?
1: Well, I got a Chinese pop singer who is definitely a diva. And she is on the same level as Fei Wang. I wow. think you still remember Fei Wong, right? Fei
2: Wong, she's, she's a huge juggernaut here in China. And uh, we covered her earlier in the show. And so if she's on the same level, mm-hmm. that that puts a little bit of pressure on me too. You yeah. know, I feel like I should know something, but uh, it, it depends. We'll, we'll see. I <laughs> <laughs> guess we'll find out. And
1: also the bonus interesting bit is that she is not only on the same level in terms of popularity and career achievements, she is also
2: Fei Wong's BFF wow okay so they hang out together too okay mm-hmm. all right all right well that sounds pretty exciting why don't we get to it uh, but really quick we want to drop our disclaimer that we do for every show that everything that we find is purely internet based some sources could be a little bit outdated and possibly erroneous so if any of you out there listening hear any inaccuracies please reach out to us we'd love to hear from you and hopefully we can update that information onto a later episode So now that that's done, why don't we go ahead and jump into this? I'm going to go ahead and set it off with my artist. So let's get to it. Fact number one. And this is according to Factinate. And this is a U.S. pop music fact database. This artist was born in poverty. Okay. Okay. Um, And when I say poverty, I really mean poverty. I mean, this was 1933. He was born in a small shack in a pine forest in South Carolina. Mm. His parents were just 16 and 22 years old and their house didn't have windows. It didn't have running water, no electricity or even a toilet. Okay. So when I say poverty, I mean like serious poverty, Mm. Um, it was very difficult life. And of course, having a child just made things a whole lot worse. Uh, in this artist's biography later on, he dropped the junior from his name because he didn't have a really good relationship with his father. Mm, I guessed. Yeah. And he uh, wasn't really close to him. There was a lot of abuse, unfortunately, in his upbringing. And ironically... He turned out to be like him in that way as well. Oh, that is such a heartbreaking story. Yeah, yeah. His dad was no dad of the year. He was uh, an alcoholic. He was abusive, as I mentioned. And he once almost killed his uh, wife in a fit of rage. So he almost yeah, beat her to death uh she left the family when this artist was about 4 years old so this little boy grew up wearing literally rags and walking around barefoot mm. he had no neighbors or friends and his father's steady stream of girlfriends never stayed around long enough to you know foster a kind of like mother relationship so really rough upbringing um things did take a turn when his uh, aunt took him in. Oh, okay. You know, so he at that time he moved to a state called uh, Georgia. But there was a dark side to that as well because his his aunt was actually she was running a brothel. Oh. Now, okay. just to put things into perspective, this was the 30s, and this was during the time of the Great American Depression. You had mm. the stock market that just crashed. People were jumping out of buildings and killing themselves mm. or wanted to kill themselves. That was, you know, Suicide was not uncommon during that time. There was no work uh, for white Americans. And so this artist being African-American, it was much, the conditions were a lot worse. So people at this time had to do literally whatever they could to survive. Yeah, so brothel, it was one viable choice, I guess. Yeah, I guess so at this time. But I mean, for a young man to be in this environment, I mean, it just seems like there was no childhood. Of course, this, this, this young boy had to grow up really, really fast. So while he was at this brothel, he had to earn his keep. And so he was responsible for entertaining potential clients Mm. and for guiding them to his aunt's establishment. And how did he do it? Of course, he got into song and dance. And so a lot of the servicemen when they went in they liked to see him perform and at that time he was uh, playing the guitar, the piano, the harmonica and a lot of, a lot of these instruments he taught himself. Okay. So from a really young age he just had this, you know, energy and he had that uh, charisma to perform. So, yeah. So we're going to move on to fact number 2 and this is from also factinate and Wikipedia. This artist was the epitome of a true hustler. Uh, growing up with on a proper shirt on his back, I mean, this does things to you. When you don't have the proper clothes to wear mm. when you are just poor i mean you're really really at rock bottom you you have this mindset that I, I'm, I'm gonna make it no matter what mm. i have to do what I, I gotta do what i gotta do Yeah. so he was pretty much picking up any job that he can do and this is a pivotal experience for this artist that uh, i think changed his life and uh, it had a really big impact on him but he was once sent home from school for having quote insufficient clothes When he was in the sixth grade. And after that, he, well, he never went back to school after he was sent home.
1: Yeah, it was such an important and also critical period in one's life. And once you get discriminated against, not only because of your skin color, but also because of how poor you are. Yeah. Because it definitely leaves a mark on you.
2: Oh, man, a deep mark. And so instead he turned to church and religion as an escape to kind of get away from the harsh realities of poverty. And he fell in love with gospel music. So he started singing at the church. And this was also a way for him to escape. It was a place of refuge for him as well, because I think when you're kind of baptized into this world of pain,
3: mm. you know,
2: this place can be a way for you to kind of stay on a decent path because it could be really easy to fall into, you know, where the world takes you. You know what I mean? Yes. So as I mentioned before, because he was, you know, born into this world of hustling, he worked all kinds of jobs. As a kid, he was a cotton picker. I mean, he's from the South, mm. and this is, was in the 30s, 40s. So he was a cotton picker. He was a shoe shiner. I read somewhere where he said he started at three cents, and then he went up to four cents, and he was trying to get six cents for after shining a, a shining a shoe. And then he was trying to get up to a dime, but I guess that never happened. He was a car washer and just really doing whatever he could. And, of course, he was uh, a performer uh, for his aunt. He was nine years old when he bought his first underwear. Okay? <laughs>
1: that is very specific. It okay. is very
2: specific. And it's like, it just, again, I think it just lets you know the scale of poverty yeah. that this young man was in. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, hustling wouldn't keep him in school. Of course, if you, if you, you need work to eat as a, as a boy then going to school is just not really an option for you. So yeah, when he was 15 years old, he got picked up and put into detention Mm. um, for petty theft. He was convicted and sent to a juvenile center. And get this he was sentenced originally for 8 to 16 years in prison. Wow. Yeah. And this is again at a young at a really young age. Just for theft? Just for theft. Yeah. That's, that's the way it was again especially depending on what race you are some mm-hmm. of the sentences are a lot harder. Um he was let out after 3 years for good behavior. And, of course, if you're wondering what he did during that time frame, of course, he formed a, a, a gospel group <laughs> while he was in the juvenile detention center and they sang songs. So that was what really got him out early, but also gave him some connections outside in the in the world of music. And um, according to this source, music was not his first choice for his career. He actually wanted to be something like a, uh, a baseball player or a professional boxer. Mm um so let's move on we're going to go to fact number three and this is also from factinate and wikipedia he didn't realize how much his life would change after meeting a pianist and r&b singer bobby bird and i think i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly but as i mentioned when he was in the juvenile detention center he would sing songs and also he played baseball and this artist went to this detention center to play baseball with some of the inmates And he heard of this young boy that was nicknamed the Music Box. Oh. And so he was interested in hearing him sing, and then he heard him, and then the rest was history. He was just like, okay, we got to get this guy into show business. Mm. And so his family was instrumental in bringing, getting him out of the detention center um, early. But I guess the courts, they had their conditions, and that was, he needs to sing about the Lord. (laughs) I oh, didn't realize. That, enough, I, I didn't realize that that was a, a condition to get out of detainment uh, early. But for him, that's what it was, and so I guess that's what he did at first. Mm. The first group that he was with was the Gospel Starlighters, but I guess once he joined that group, the name changed to the Avons. All right. Mm -hmm. And then that name didn't stick very long. And then it went to the more popular name, which I'm a little reluctant to give right now, but I'm going (laughs) to give it anyway because this program is about just, you know, sharing the story, not necessarily keeping the co host in the dark. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So this, um, the group that he eventually uh, toured with and became quite famous with was called the Famous Flames. Mm -hmm. All right. So at first, it was gospel, but then from there, they got into performing at colleges and nightclubs all over the South of America, and uh, they really their their big break came when they performed on stage with Little Richard, and this was another legend in um, the world of rock and roll during that time. And yeah, from there, um, they never looked back. But at the same time, though, when he was performing with the famous Flames, he also set up his own band, okay. and so he was performing for these guys, and he was performing for his personal band on the side. So he was doing you know two roles so when he wasn't working here he was working somewhere else so he just he was like a battery it just that just never ran that out. never ran out yeah mm-hmm. the energizer bunny then so that's where he also got the nickname the hardest working man in show business that was a really really that's probably the biggest clue at this point of the program so um, yeah in 1967 alone he entertained about 3 million people and he did about 350 live performances And that's, there's 365 days in a year, right? Right. Okay, so almost every day of that year, he did a performance. Wow. (laughs) live performance, yeah. Talk about hustling. Yes. Unbelievable. And so, yeah, but there's something else that was interesting about this musician. He was known to be a task maker and a perfectionist when it came to his band. He wasn't able to read sheet music, but he knew at that moment when the beat or the sound, or any of his bandmates were off. Mm. The part that I found was funny was that he didn't take any crap from his fellow musicians, and he had a strict drug and alcohol-free policy for most of his career. And if any of them showed up drunk, they were fired. If any of them showed up with shoes that weren't shined, he would find them. If they didn't look a certain way presentable, he would find them. And so that was like, oh, that's coming out of your salary. That anybody that worked with him had to be a really fast thinker. And that's according to one of the band members that were on the set with him. So, yeah, everything had to look good. Everything had to look really nice. And I think that this stems a lot from his beginnings because they were so humble. Mm. This artist, whenever he was out, he always had to be dressing really nice. His hair had to be just right. His shoes, everything externally had to be presentable because, again, I think he didn't. I mean, he wasn't able to get underwear until he was nine years old. Right. And his clothes were made from sacks or whatever that was available. So. And it's funny how that works out. For people who come from humble beginnings, when they do get money, they tend to always want to look nice. And, you know, jewelry wasn't something, it was not something that he always wore on his fingers. And mm. so, yeah, that was something that stuck with him. And also he had that requirement for anyone that performed with him as well.
1: Mm. Well, this is actually very understandable. You know, when, when you come from such a background, you tend to overcompensate. Yeah. You never want to have that feeling again. So, yeah,
2: I completely get that. Absolutely. All right. We're going to move on to fact number four, and this is according to Time Magazine and also Wikipedia. So at this time, his band, well, both of his bands were blowing up. He had an electric sound. He had an electric, uh, the way that he sang, the way that he danced, it was something that the country had never seen before. Mm -hmm. So he was revolutionizing the way that people dance. And he was coined pretty much one of the originators, or if not the, arguably the originator of funk. And whenever he went to tour, when he had a performance, a lot of people would drop what they're doing. And even though they couldn't afford it, because, again, during that time in the States, money wasn't something that a lot of people had. But people would pay in abundance to go and see a live performance, even though when they didn't have it. So if you were good, Mm. they loved you. Mm. But if you were not good, they would let you know and you could even possibly get injured or hurt at a performance because people have spent a lot of money when they didn't have it so yeah that's something else that people need to keep in mind about this time frame um but yes he also had a dark side and i think that this has a lot to do it clearly has a lot to do with his upbringing his abusive childhood his love life was tumultuous he was married about four times and on top of numerous other romantic relationships And three of those marriages had numerous instances of domestic violence. (sighs) Yeah, he was known for his fits of rage and anger, kind of like someone that we, you know, mentioned already, right? And had numerous altercations with the law. this involved, like, a couple of car chases where the police had to shoot out his tires to get him, you know, to get him to pull over. And um, he was... In public with a deadly weapon, a shotgun, to be more specific, and substance abuse. Mm. At some point in his career, even though he was a strict, you know, non drug entertainer, at some point he got involved. And in that many people attribute that to the spiraling down of his career and obviously mm. his presentation and just who he was. And, uh, but during the 60s and 70s, his music became anthems for um, not only the country but the civil rights movement there was a lot of racial injustice at that time a lot of right-wing politics and so he had a song (laughs) and you have to excuse the grammar Uh, i think you know again he came from the south he didn't go through school i don't think he even made it through um to high school Mm. yeah so a song that was really popular during that time was i don't want nobody to give me nothing this is yeah. a really famous song, and you can uh, tell from the, the, you know, obviously the the grammar, triple but, negative, <laughs> but you can understand the sentiment. And this song was mainly inspirational for uh, its rejection of sympathy and demand for um, equal opportunity. Mm. But uh, there's a lot of other songs that he has that I don't want to say right now because it's just too obvious. There's too obvious. Mm. So um, we're gonna leave that there, and we're gonna move on to. Fact number five, and this is from the same sources, Factinate and Wikipedia. Uh, in his career, he received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1992, Kennedy Center Honors in 2003, and 116 singles on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles. He was a huge advocate of education, and again, that most likely stems from his background background. He wrote songs to that effect, such as Don't Be a Dropout. <laughs> and also he did another one called Killing Is Out, School Is In. And I oh. think that has a lot to do with the uh, the black-on-black crime that was going on a lot in the community. He donated money to underprivileged children in Georgia and made public speeches in schools, stressing the importance of education. So that was something that he stood behind. He, he was an activist, but it was a bit controversial because sometimes he... You know, he endorsed the U.S. government, and then sometimes he would endorse, you know, the black community. So it was just really hard to, you know, it was a bit controversial. We'll just put it that way. Uh, But his music definitely spoke to the struggle. He unfortunately passed away in 2006, and his funeral was held at the Epic Apollo Theater in New York. Um, The service lasted about three days, and a lot of big names attended, such as Michael Jackson, Prince, Little Richard, Jesse Jackson, MC Hammer, and the list just goes on and on and on. According to an autobiography by N.J. Smith on NPR, uh, he noted that, quote, "...having been through so much in his life, all the things that he went through, the criminal experiences, Mm -hmm. been up and down with the music industry, made millions, lost millions. I think on some level, he felt whatever happened, happened, and he just couldn't die. And and that same interview, they mentioned how he was a stillborn. Oh, stillborn. He was a stillborn, right. and he was still, somehow, he made it out of that as well. So, with, I mean, just with that, I mean, with all the odds, I mean, just coming into this world with a really rough start and just making it. Most people, it would kind of bring them down. But for him, it was just like, I can't lose. I was born to lose, but I just can't accept that fate. Yeah.
1: Well, this actually reminds me of... Cicely Tyson Mm. who is also a legendary African-American actress and she apparently had a heart problem when she was born and it was predicted that she would not make it maybe past several months Mm. but then she went on to have a a illustrious career
2: and she died in her 90s so Mm. you never know that's right that's right well, that brings me to the end. And I think Mr. Liu, he has this look on his face like he doesn't know, but I, I think he's, he's, he's playing with me here.
1: So. <laughs> oh, you give me too much credit. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. I do have an answer. Yeah. So I'd like to test the waters a little bit. All right. Because I really am not 100% sure. All right. Okay, this singer, his initials, um, are they the same as
2: Justin Bieber? That's a pretty decent guess. Okay. All right. So
1: I'm going to go with James Brown.
2: All right. All right. Let's see what the judges have to say about that. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got it. James Brown was one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. His unique developments on R&B and gospel revolutionized soul and paved the way for the genre of funk, earning him the nickname, the Godfather of Soul, and he had a lot of nicknames. He was known as the Father of Funk, Mr. Dynamite, the Grandfather of Hip Hop, and notably, Soul Brother Number 1. He was the first person to be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And did you know that no other artist comes close to being sampled as much as James Brown? In other words, his work has inspired generations of musicians who have incorporated audio snippets and some part of his tunes into their creations. Michael Jackson even, at a BET award ceremony, Michael Jackson even said on stage that James Brown was his biggest inspiration, and I can see that in the way that he dances. Mm. And Michael, I mean, before Michael Jackson blessed the world with his dancing ability, it was it was James Brown. Mm. James Brown was just a machine. So I got to hear a few tracks from him growing up and it was his voice, his ability to scream on key and just, you know, do different things with the, uh, the music was supernatural. Let's just put it that way. And I got two tracks or three tracks that I would like to share from this special musician. First up, I got the one that most of you have probably heard at least at some point in your life. And that is... I Got You, mm-hmm. a.k.a. I Feel Good, mm. and that will be followed by Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, and then It's a Man's Man's World. Check it out.
0: Whoa! I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. Sugar and spine. I feel nice. That sugar and spine. I feel nice, a sugar and spine. baby boys, man make them happy, cause man make them toys, and after man make everything, everything he can, you know that man makes money, to buy from other men, A woman again. He's lost.
3: He's lost.
2: And that was It's a Man's, Man's World by James Brown. Yeah, you could really hear the soul in his voice. I mean, he, there's a bit of screaming there. I, again, I haven't heard that from a lot of other artists. But the way that he does it, it doesn't sound like it's noise. Sometimes when you hear in rock and roll music, there's like some screaming. And, you know, for some people, it may be a bit unnerving. But the way that it's done in his music, for some reason, it just it's just right on tune. It's right on key. And you can really feel uh, the pain in his voice as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And also, when he screams, somehow you can hear every single word so clearly. Like he enunciates while he screams. That's a talent right there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, the godfather of soul, James Brown, and uh, yeah, I hope that some of that music resonated with our listeners out there today. But anyway, on another note, Liu Yan, who you got for us today?
1: Okay, so like I mentioned, she is one of the pop divas in China, and her stories are probably lighter and I, I believe that's a good thing, <laughs> because if we have two heavy stories, that would kind of be too much.
3: Mm.
1: All right, so let's get to this pop singer. Barbara. She was born in Shenyang, China, on November 27, 1967. Okay. So right off the bat, two huge clues. Really? She is in her 50s. (laughs) And also, she's from northeast China.
2: Dongbei, all right.
1: Yeah, Dongbei. And that's a big clue because she speaks with a very thick Dongbei accent.
2: Okay. So
1: that should narrow things down considerably. All right. (laughs) Given that you're not Chinese, that's probably not helping much. (laughs) Not that much. Anyway, most family members of hers were actually not from a musical background. Mm. They were mostly in the medical field. In particular, her father is a very famous doctor. Her sister is also quite famous. But that's mainly because the sister is this singer's agent. Mm, So there you go That's pretty smart Yeah, that's according to Sina News Alright And then moving on to the second clue This singer has always loved singing And she joined a prominent kids singing group In Liaoning province in 1979 right. And as she grew older she joined a singing group for adults, but mostly she did background vocals. All right. And one time, a member of that group caught a bad cold and could not perform on stage. And this singer filled in at the last minute. She yes. Was like, yeah. And she did a fantastic job. And from then on, it took on, her job. Yes. She became. A lead singer instead of a background singer
2: I bet that singer was mad it was just like oh why did I have to get sick
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love stories like this it just goes to show that opportunities you know wait for people who get prepared
2: that's right that's right Yeah, yeah that's a good point because it's not like if this backup singer wasn't prepared and wasn't doing the hard work behind the scenes then she probably would have just sounded just like the rest of the singers. And then as soon as that other singer recovered, then she would have kind of disappeared into oblivion again. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, so. so
1: that's not to say luck isn't important. It is important, but at the same time, you have to get ready. Yeah, that's the main message
2: here. That's right.
1: Yeah, so this is from Tencent News. Hmm. And moving on to the third clue, she participated in a singing competition back in 1988 and got noticed by Gu Jianfen. And Gu Jianfen is one of the biggest names in the music industry here in China. She is best known as a composer, Hmm. and she has written so many mega hits over the decades. But she is much more than just a composer. She is also a renowned music teacher, and she was impressed by this particular singer's performance at that same competition. So she said, I'm going to take you in, because I like you. And this is worth mentioning because Because at the time, she had another student, and that student was also a household name in terms of popularity. Mm. So you can say that this teacher is almost like a diva. A diva incubator. Incubator, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So this is from Phoenix News. All right. And moving on to the next clue. This singer is not known for being super sporty, but somehow she's always linked to sports. She performed at a fundraising concert for the Asian Games in 1990. And that was the very first time China hosted a grand international sporting event nineteen ninety, so more than thirty years ago. And uh naturally she got a lot of exposure because of that, you know, doing the song for the Asian games, also participating in the fundraising concert. Hmm. And she also sang the theme song for the first-ever Women's Football World Tournament that was in Guangzhou. And she sang the theme song for that event.
2: Oh, that sounds like a really big clue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But somehow that song was not that famous. So I can give you the title here. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Embracing Tomorrow. So unless you're a hardcore soccer fan, you
2: probably don't remember the song. Most Americans, (laughs) we don't don't watch a lot of soccer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. But years later, in 2008, we all know the Beijing Olympic, right? Mm-hmm. The Beijing Olympic Games. And she sang in this song called Beijing Welcomes You. I can tell you this song, because that song was sung by a whole bunch of stars, and she was just one of them.
2: Okay. Yeah. So it was like a We Are The World yeah type, type of song. Okay. Yes, exactly. And... Uh, still in the
1: dark here, but alright. Still all right. in the dark. Okay, that's alright. Uh, no worries. Like I already mentioned, she is from Northeast China, right? Yeah. Although she's 100% from the Chinese mainland, she actually signed a contract with a record label in Taiwan first. And officially released her debut album there. Oh, wow. It's called Thinking of You Day and Night. So that's a big clue. Okay. Because her first album was a big success, but it was not a career defining success. Mm. So even though I mentioned the title, I don't think many people remember that particular album. Okay. And that also marked the very first time people started to think of her differently Because previously people always talked about her as if she was just someone who specialized in evening galas hmm. Or special occasions, sporting right. events, that type of singer right. But after this album, people started to look at her as an album artist
2: Okay, as a serious musician mm-hmm.
1: Okay. That's according to Ying Net or Golden Eagle All right. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, things got much better as time went on. And in 1995, she released her second album. I am so not going to mention the name here because it's too famous.
2: Too famous, all right.
1: So, the titular song was a big hit and to this day remains one of her signature songs. What I can tell you is that there's also a song on this album with a very amusing title. It's called The Way I Love You. It's almost like you are my enemy.
2: The way I love you, it's almost like you are my enemy.
1: Mm-hmm. It's uh, not a famous single, so I can safely say that.
2: Is she a masochist? Hmm, that's interesting.
1: <laughs> well, not necessarily. I don't think the song is about that. You love
2: somebody like an enemy. I mean, I don't know. It's just...
1: I just think, you know, they probably have this not very healthy relationship and they, they get into fights a lot. Yeah. That's, that's uh, why, yeah.
2: Okay. so yeah. Uh, But yeah, you know what I'm saying? I think asked. I'm right. The yeah. <laughs> glutton okay. for punishment, all right. Yeah.
1: This is also according to Baidu Music. All right. And her career reached the highest high in 1998 and she performed a duet with her personal friend, you know, the B- BFF I mentioned earlier, oh, Fei, Fei Wong. Wong yeah. And that song was probably one of the most famous songs to ever be performed at the annual Spring Festival Gala. Mm. But anyway, like I said, 1998 was the year that her career just absolutely peaked. So, besides this song for the Spring Festival Gala, she also released her career defining album. And that album spawned the biggest hit in her career. Mm. I'm not going to give you the name because <laughs> that's also yes just too obvious sure. but I can say that it is inescapable and instantly recognizable I don't think there's anyone on the Ch- Chinese mainland or in Taiwan or in Hong Kong who doesn't know the chorus of that song
2: mm, okay so it's a huge huge song Probably and if any. you
1: want more clues for this song there's a very interesting metaphor in the song. It somehow references poison as in I'm going to drink your
2: poison. Wow. Okay. I'm going I want to be intoxicated by you. Huh? <laughs> I'm telling you she's a masochist, really.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I see. Anyway, thanks to this album, this singer created history. She became the very first artist from the mainland to get nominated for Best Female Singer at Taiwan's Golden Melody Awards. Hmm. And moving on She starred in a TV series called I'm Looking Forward to Being Loved In 2004 And she also starred in her first movie Called In the Blue In 2006 And because of the TV series and the movie Most people guessed she would have a thriving Acting career after that But she mostly withdrew from the limelight Because she got married And so she decided to focus more On her family Hmm. And on her kids Okay. So that's also
2: a huge clue. Is it now? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And speaking of her private life, her husband is the owner of a high-end bar slash nightclub right here in Beijing. Hmm. So if you're into the bar scene, (laughs) you definitely know that bar. Uh Uh-huh. And before he showed up as the one, this singer also had another very high-profile relationship with a soccer player
2: okay so i'm sure this is just screaming out the answer for our chinese listeners out there
1: yeah yeah That relationship lasted for an entire decade. And they even had a son together in 2004, Hmm. but obviously it didn't last. Okay. And interestingly enough, when she was at the lowest of her low, her future husband was the one who was there to comfort her. (laughs) And their relationship, you know, obviously blossomed because of that. Hmm. And turns out he was the one. So they got married later in Canada.
2: Okay. Hmm.
1: Still not ringing any bells?
2: Still not ringing any bells Okay, so
1: this is the one that should help you She was back in the limelight In a big way In 2012 When she appeared on The Voice of China As a judge slash coach And since then She has appeared on so many talent shows And variety shows That I have lost count
3: Hmm.
1: Some of the most famous include Sing China Mask Singer Running Man Hmm. crossover singing sensation hmm. trump card hmm. sisters go
2: go go just to name a few <laughs> and i don't watch any of those <laughs> you don't watch any
1: of those no. okay
2: no. well heard of them but i've never like watched them so I, mean, I wouldn't recognize anybody that was on it huh well let me tell you this thanks to the popularity of
1: sister go 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 she and a whole bunch of popular female singers from the Chinese mainland, Hong Kong and Taiwan formed a super group called X Sister.
2: X Sister. Okay.
1: That's according to Baidu Baike and Sina Weibo.
2: Okay. All right. Still clueless, but um, I think I have 30 seconds to kind of yeah. find yeah <laughs> to look somebody up online.
1: Yeah, I think you can definitely use this clue because so far this is still like the only female supergroup in China.
2: Okay. All right. Well, I think I'm going to take this time to look somebody up. You said, uh, ex-sister, right?
1: Yeah, ex-sister. <laughs> and it's most likely that she will be the first name to appear when you search ex-sister. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start the
2: countdown. Okay, go ahead.
1: It's
2: 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, 20 come seconds. Come on, Internet. Ugh, this Internet is awful <laughs> in the studio. Uh,
1: yeah, I know. You keep okay, saying that so every time. so there's a group of... 10 seconds.
2: Girls here. Bye, Baidu. bye, Two.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
2: <laughs>
1: Times up.
2: Okay. Well. Oh my goodness! There's like seven of them or eight of them. Or...
1: Yeah, but I just told you that it's very likely that her her name will be the first one. <laughs> Oh, come on man i'm giving you the answer already
2: okay well again i don't know if i think i chose the right group but i'm not sure i mean there's oh there's so many people so i'm not sure if this person that i choose is the right one but uh one
1: final clue two characters not three <laughs> characters <laughs> This is bordering on cheating. <laughs>
2: oh, jeez. Okay. So, mm, before the show, you mentioned how this person was from uh, Dongbei mm-hmm. and they're from the Man ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking, uh, so I did a little bit of research and I was looking for a name and one came up, but it was a guy. And this mm-hmm. was like, his name was like Akshan or Song Shidong or something. And I was like, okay, so this guy's famous as a, you know, from this ethnic group, but it's a woman. So I'm like, oh, so now I, I found somebody or I found a list of names and I'm just going to have to go off the first name that I see. I'm going to take your advice here. And I see a Ning Jing. <laughs> oh, so I wasn't sure if no. that was right or
1: or what, but <laughs> that's, that's the wrong one. <laughs> 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 Okay, so who do you, Who is it? The correct answer is Na Ying.
2: Na Ying. Yeah. Na Ying. I don't you even, y'all see that? That's not even on here. Oh, that's unfortunate. All right, yeah. so who do you got? So the correct answer is Na Ying. Na
1: Ying. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you should have guessed because <laughs> I always pick very easy to pronounce Chinese names for you.
2: All right. Well, I that's appreciate that. Did help me this time.
1: So, Na Ying, who is one of the most beloved and recognized pop singers in China, who has also had a decades-long career and remains popular to this day. And I also want to mention that she has been doing a lot of charity work over the years. Mm. And I was really, really impressed with two causes in particular. In 2011, she donated almost 200 books to Celebrity Academy, It's Hmm. a place specifically for stars to donate books, so more people will pay attention, and hopefully more kids will pick up the books.
2: Nice. Because
1: I am a big book fan, so this naturally impressed me a lot. And the second one is, in 2014, Na Ying co-organized a charity concert called Project WAO, which stands for Woman as One. Hmm. And the concert was to raise funds for abused young women. It was
2: hugely successful.
1: Wow. And this also meant a lot to me because I consider myself somewhat a feminist.
2: All right. All right. All right. And you got a couple of tracks you want to share from this artist?
1: We are going to enjoy her signature songs, Conquered and The Day Doesn't Note, The Darkness of the Night.
2: The day doesn't know the darkness of the night. All right. Sounds really interesting. I'm not going to read into those titles. uh, But before we hear those tracks, we're going to go ahead and call it for this special episode of Pop Muse. Thank you so much, Mr. Liu, for sharing your artist. And for those of you listening out there, be sure to tune in for another exciting episode of Pop Muse. And be sure to reach out to us and let us know what artists you think should be on the show. I'm TJ Reed. I'm No Yan. Take it easy, folks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.